You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. I'll be reading this morning from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is teaching us through your word given to us this morning. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us at home as we continue to worship, as we worship through singing and praying. And now as we open up God's word and hear what he has to say to us, we're starting a new teaching series this morning uh, through the Gospel of Mark, which we're calling Jesus Says. And what we desire to do in this series is look intently at the words of Christ his specific words in, in, in his public ministry while he was on earth, and in particular, the places where he is telling people what to do. Uh, Mark is one of the original um, disciples of Jesus, one of the first 12, and he really desires to tell the story about how Jesus is, is revealing himself as the authoritative, miracle-working rescuer of God's people. And you'll notice that in the Gospel of Mark, how often Jesus is shown to be telling people what to do. In just eight, in 16 chapters, Jesus gives over 60 commands. That's almost four commands for every chapter of Scripture. Whether it's a command to repent and believe, or follow me, or do not be afraid, or go into the world and proclaim the good news, we see what it looks like to be people who follow Jesus, who listen to his words, who do, do, do what he says, and follow him unashamed and unafraid. There's so much good news in the Gospel of Mark. There's so much to unpack. So why don't we begin? Remember, the series is all about what Jesus says. And the first time we hear Jesus' voice in the Gospel of Mark, he says, repent and believe in the Gospel. It's right there in verse 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. So let me ask you, how do you feel when people come to you and tell you what to do? How do you feel when someone comes up and tells you how to live? Who, give, who gets to tell you how to adjust your life one way or another? It feels like an intrusion, doesn't it? It feels like when uh, someone comes in in a confrontation, someone telling you how to live. I imagine it really depends on who's telling you and maybe how dramatic of a change uh, that, that command would be for your life. You know, if it's advice on what laundry detergent to use or where to find the best hamburger in town, that's one thing. But if it's advice for 
how to live your life and how to change your life and everything in it, I imagine your response would be anything from inspiration and encouragement to anger and frustration and bitterness for how dare that person tell me what to do. Well, the first time we hear Jesus' voice, he is going from town to town and city to city, and he's telling people to drop what they are doing, to take a deep look at their heart, and to do whatever it takes to make the necessary adjustments in their life, to make himself and his words the priority in their life. The word repent here means to change course, to search their hearts, to come clean about the things that they are doing or feeling that God hates, and to turn towards the things that God loves. This is a a total all-of-life allegiance and obedience to Jesus, so much so that all that they feel and do and want and love and dream about, all those things are shaped by the words and character of Jesus Christ. So we start this series, we jump into a big command. That's how Mark starts it, a big command, repent, change your life, change the course of your your life, and go towards Jesus, believing in him. And Mark knows we might be asking the question, well, this is quite a big ask. What authorities does Jesus have? Why should we listen to Jesus when he tells us to drop what we are doing, change our life, and start moving towards him, start listening to his words, and, and take it to heart? Mark doesn't leave us guessing. He tells us exactly why we should take this command from Jesus to heart. Here are three reasons that he lays out in his passage. Three reasons are that all history is preparation for Jesus. Two, we don't have a lot of time, and so time is short. And third, the good news is a gift. Let's talk about how all of history first is preparation for Jesus. Jesus tells us that he was born and he lived not merely to bring us good news or to tell a good story, but he was born to tell the story of the whole world, the universal story. He, his arrival gives meaning, not just our personal story or our personal Christian story, but his arrival is meant to tell the story of all of history. Picture this scene with me. That, that, is un, that unfolds here in chapter 1. Jesus is baptized. The heavens are torn apart, as Mark tells us. And the Holy Spirit comes down and descends on Jesus like a dove. And we hear the voice of God the Father. And he says, this is my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And immediately then, Jesus says, it's time. It's a pretty ominous declaration. If anything, it's a presumptuous declaration. When Jesus says the time is fulfilled, he is not simply saying today is the day to do something good for the world. He is saying all previous history, all previous days, all previous activity have all been setting the table for this moment. Everything that has happened has happened in such a way to prepare the world and all existence for me. And the time has come. It has arrived. Jesus is making this audacious claim that everything that has ever happened, every time period has been moving in one direction, which leads to the events of his public ministry, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Why should we listen to Jesus when he says, repent and believe? 
Well, it's because all of life and all of history has been created, sustained, ordered for this moment, for Christ. And if all of history has has been made in preparation for Jesus, then that means our lives have been created, sustained, and ordered for this very same purpose. We are too. We are created for Jesus. It means that our history and all the things that have happened to us in our life are also moving in one direction. And that is to have a radical encounter and confrontation with Jesus Christ. It means that all the Old Testament events and all the promises of God are pointing in one direction so that we would see Jesus. Everything is meant to drive us to Christ. It means that every trial, every discouragement, every conflict and struggle in our life is somehow meant to to make us move towards Jesus in knowing him. It means that when the sun sets on the Catalina Mountains and it reveals all the dimensions and colors and shadows of the mountains in all of its beauty and glory, I don't know how exactly, but it was arranged in such a way to display the authority and beauty of Jesus Christ. There are pretty much two views of history in our world, two dominant views uh, regarding all of history and why things happen. One view is that history is just random. Things happen. We adjust in relationship to those things. We, we ultimately determine our own destiny, and it's meaningless to try to figure out why bad things happen, why good things happen. Things just happen, and that's the way life goes, and we move forward. There's not a straight line. There's no one intended destiny. Things just happen at random. The other view is the biblical view of history, That says that all history moves in one direction and it culminates in the perfect and righteous rule of King Jesus over all of creation in the kingdom of God. And so these two views are really seeking to to ask the question, who's at the center of it all? Who's at the center of all of history? The first view says that we are at the center and everything in our world is, is meant to give us comfort and success and so we can consume everything in, our, in the world for our own well-being. The second view admits that history has a purpose and this purpose is found in the love of God. And we enjoy his love and we participate in this love and we share in this love, not when we make ourselves the center of the universe, but when we make him the center of it all. And this is what we're made for. Ultimately, we are made to center our lives around Jesus. For all time and all history and even our very lives exist for this very purpose, to center our lives around him. And so really, one of the most credible reasons why we should listen to Jesus when he says, repent and believe, change the course of your life, and center all of your life's priorities around me, is because we were made for that. We were created for this very purpose, and all of history was created for this very purpose. Change the course of your life and make your life about Jesus, because it is there that we find the true meaning and purpose of our very lives, and everything that has ever happened in our life. Well, Jesus gives us another reason to take this command to repent and to believe to heart. He says, 
We don't have a lot of time. Time is short. There should be a sense of urgency to obey this command. There's always a sense of urgency with Jesus when he commands us to do something. Notice that Jesus never tells us, he never offers a command to a person and says, you know what, Uh, take a day, think about it, mill it over in your mind. Let's hang out tomorrow, we'll revisit this command together. He never does that. He presents himself always as the authoritative king of creation to whom all people and things must give an answer. We see this when he says, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is a saying that means that the presence of God to judge all of creation and to reign over all of creation and to being the one who establishes the future and full joy of God's people in the new creation, it has arrived. It is beginning. The wheels are in motion and rapidly approaching. It's a phrase that is meant to stir urgency spiritual sobriety. It's a kind of urgent announcement that that always demands a response. Consider if if I'm at home and making dinner and I call out to the house, dinner is ready. I'm I'm not just offering out this information just for information's sake. I'm not just letting people know, letting my family know that dinner is ready. My 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 calling out it it intrinsic within this call is a uh, demands a response. I'm not just broadcasting information. I'm broadcasting information for the purpose of seeing people gathering around the dinner table to share this meal together. And Jesus begins his ministry broadcasting the news of the kingdom of God that has arrived. And he even tells us the proper response that should come from that. Repent and believe. It's not enough just to hear the gospel story. It's not enough to hear the gospel call. We must respond to the gospel. It's not enough to hear the gospel and even uh, be encouraged by what we hear. We must center our life around it. It's very possible to hear the gospel story and say, what a great story. It's very possible to hear the gospel story and say, I believe that story to be true. I believe that Jesus lived He died. He rose. He's alive today. I believe that we've all fallen short of God's commands. It's even possible to say, and I love the story of Christianity. Because in this story, forgiveness is offered. Hope for eternal life. Relationship with God. But if we don't respond in repentance and true belief, which is resting faith, trusting in God, and Jesus' work alone for us and our hope, well, then we have not responded in the only way that is appropriate to the gospel call. Imagine a couch cushion that catches on fire in your house. You can't just sit there and say, well, it's just a couch cushion. The rest of the house seems fine. It's, it's just a cushion and the, the rest of my house is okay. If you don't do something immediately and decisively about that couch cushion on fire, your whole house will become consumed in flames. Sin is the same way. It's never fully satisfied. It always leads to separation from God, which always leads to intense suffering in this life and in the next. It can't be confined to just one area of our lives. It can't just be maintained as a small fire. 
Jesus doesn't say to us, manage your sin, confine your sin. He says, repent from your sin. Turn from your sin and a life of alienation from God. Turn towards Jesus and believe in me. For only I can rescue you from your whole life becoming consumed and ruined. You see, this is why Jesus speaks like this. This is why he speaks with such urgency in his ministry. Because there can be no compromise with sin. We must do whatever it takes to avoid sin and repent of sin. To change course. To stop where we are. To look in our hearts. To evaluate our life. And to change course to change the way that we've thought about Jesus, the way we've thought about sin, the way we've thought about our life, and start believing in Him, listening to Him, and obeying His commands to follow Him. But you know, when we know how good the gospel is, when we know how good His his broadcasted news is, it will be a command that we will be delighted to follow. We won't see it as a sense of a burden and and a sense of, of joyless duty. We will see his call to repent and to believe as a great invitation into his joy. And this brings us to the goodness of the good news. It brings us to the good news that is a gift. The good news is a gift. Mark tells us that Jesus' message is the gospel, which literally means good news. It's translated as as. Uh, news of joy or news of that is good and for us today we would never really use the word gospel outside of a religious context when we hear the word uh, gospel it it automatically goes to a religious place a gospel story a gospel music a gospel book it's all religious language when it comes to the gospel but for mark and his audience there's nothing religious about this word It was still a very powerful word because it was used when announcing this kind of history-making, life-shaking news. It's an announcement that some event has happened that will change our life for the better forever. Jesus doesn't just begin his ministry going from place to place, barking orders for people, telling them to get their life in order. He comes proclaiming the gospel of God calling people to change their life, to follow him. And if they do, they will find that it is good. What is the good news? Well, first of all, Mark tells us that it is the good news of God. It's not the good news of humankind, but it's the good news of God. It's a kind of announcement that originates with God, the good and perfect and eternal and wise God from all eternity past He comes up with a plan. He comes up with a good plan that will rescue us from our sin. The plan is good, and it begins with God. He thought of it. Second, it answers the question for how sinners can be saved. And the answer is found in God becoming a man and willingly giving his life as a sacrifice for our sins. You see, Jesus came began his public ministry not to become a powerful national deliverer or merely a good teacher or a politician or even a public servant. He came to pay the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven and enter into his 
kingdom forever. We must believe that Jesus can and did die for our sins. We must believe that he came to pay the price for our sin, the punishment of our sins. You see, the bad news is that all of us have gone our own way, have given our lives into a, a sort of self-centeredness. All of us have become uh, self-obsessed with our own comfort, our own life, our own dreams and own little kingdoms. We've made for ourselves a, a life that pursues, pursues our own happiness. We have become at the center of our universe. And the result of these things and many others has been separation from God, spiritual death, and being cut off from the blessings of God in this life and for all eternity. But the good news is that Jesus has laid down his life for us to redeem us, to buy us back. Do you see this? We have sold our soul to, the, to the, the powers of this world, to Satan and death himself, but Jesus purchases our life back with the price of his blood. Notice that Mark tells us that Jesus goes from place to place saying the same thing. He says, repent and believe. He doesn't alter his message depending on different people. Notice that he doesn't go from town to town and say, I'm looking for 10, 10 disciples, 10 people that are willing to go the distance with me, who really are committed to giving it their all. And for everyone else, I'm going to throw out some good news here and some good news there, and take what you can, take it back to your life, and have a good life, but I'm really looking for some who are willing to give it their all. You see, most of us consider Christianity and view Christians kind of on a spectrum of holiness, there are some who we might label as the fanatics, right? The over-spiritualized. The one who give uh, priority to God in their whole life. Priority to God over their family, their career, their emotions, their comforts. People might say they, they overlive their faith. They're, they're really spiritual. They're the super Christians. And then there are those who are maybe just religious enough to be a little bit uh, self-righteous. They go to church a couple times a month. They give generously to the work of the ministry. They pray. They open up their Bible. They, they, they're good enough to be able to look down on certain people and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as those people. And then there are those who confess Christ, but their lives don't look any different from those who don't confess Christ. You see, we've created these categories. God hasn't created these categories. God doesn't play favorites. He calls us all to respond in the same way. He comes into our lives. He comes into a town. He broadcasts the good news. And he gives the same command to every single person who hears him. Repent and believe. Make me the center of your life. Change the course of your life. And give it all for me. Lay down your life. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Believe in me. Listen to the words that I have to say and follow me. You see, here's the thing. When we run to Christ in repentance, we'll be hungry for it. We will realize how good his commands are. When we turn our life, change, changing from pursuing a life of sin and disobedience and turning to life for Christ, it will grow in our hearts a desire to want to hear from him more. We will realize how good his news is. It's called good news, not good advice. Jesus doesn't offer us good advice for how to get our lives in order he gives us good news 
And the good news is that you do not have to earn your way to God. You do not have to earn your favor in God, your acceptance from God, because Jesus has already earned it for you. He rescues us, and his rescue of our lives from the course of sin is a gift to us. Here's what Pastor John Stott says about the good news. The gospel is good news not only of what Jesus did, but also of what he offers as a result. He promises to those who respond to him both the forgiveness of sin, which is to wipe away the past, and the gift of the Spirit, which is to make us new people. Together, these constitute the freedom for which many are searching. Freedom from guilt, defilement, judgment, and self-centeredness, and freedom to be the people God has made us and meant for us to be. When we seize this gift of grace through faith, this is what Jesus says, it it comes through faith. It is a gift of his grace that is received by faith alone. It's a genuine belief and rest that he has what it takes to forgive us and to make us new. And we are incapable of doing it ourselves. It is trusting that he became our substitute. It is a belief not just that he is good and that we have sinned, but it is a repentance of sin, turning from our former ways and turning to him. Then we will make him We will make him the passionate center of our lives. We'll passionately pursue him, making him priority in all of our life, listening to what he says and following him. You see, when we truly believe in Jesus, one of the symptoms of true belief and repentance is that we will arrange our life around him. We will listen to what he says and we will follow him unashamed, and unafraid. Is he speaking to you today? We know that he is. Because when we open up the scriptures, we are convinced that he is alive and his word is not silent. And what he says to all of us today, both man and woman and child both sinner and both seasoned Christian who has followed Jesus for a long time. Repent and believe. That we keep in growing in the image and likeness of Christ as we keep in repentance. It's not a one-time thing. We continually look in our heart, evaluate our life We see where we have gone astray. We confess to God. We say, God, I'm sorry for not trusting or listening to you. And we turn to him for forgiveness and mercy. And he gives it to us. And we do that throughout the day, a hundred times a day, wherever he reveals sin in our life through the gift of conviction from the Holy Spirit. We repent and we believe that he is enough. Is he speaking to you today? He's offering forgiveness. He's offering hope. He's offering you restored communion with him. So let us repent. Let this word be of invitation into his joy. 
Let us believe in Jesus that he alone is enough, that he is sufficient, that his life and death and resurrection is all that we need. His righteousness is enough. And that he became the substitute for our sins. He laid down his life only to pick it back up again so that we could be alive with him.